0: Thank you, AV team. I'm going to pray as we make that transition on the AV desk. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that it's building on from part one, this bullseye teaching series. I thank you, Father, Lord, that you're going to release key principles, Lord, and you're going to help uh, people to be aligned and to be partnering with your truth. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, in a world that sometimes is confusing, but also very compelling and very convincing, we thank you, Lord, today. Where there's been any beliefs that are aligning to what the world teaches and aren't aligned to biblical truth, we thank you, Lord, for a realignment to take place as you bring forth this message in your via your anointing and your power. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, last week we did part one of Bullseye. Today we finish off this two part two part teaching series. And uh, I'll be frank with you and honest with you, Uh, last week went in slightly different angles that I hadn't planned to, but I just kind of went with the Holy Spirit. Who was here last Sunday? There were some new characters that came out of my character repertoire that I'd never seen before. Um, And so it was interesting. We just kind of flowed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, But there was a level of boldness that I brought uh, unashamedly last Sunday, and I want to be bold again this Sunday around the Word because... Uh, We live in a world that's very competitive in terms of uh, it's competing for our heart. Our world that we live in is constantly trying to persuade us, convince us what to think, what to say, what to do, what to wear, how to live. Um, And uh, the world is, is preaching to us. It's preaching to us that how you feel is a good measuring stick for what you should do. And that right there is a false belief. The Bible never encourages us to be led by our feelings. It does say to us that that our feelings are given to us as a warning sign that maybe something isn't quite right or aligned. But who knows that our feelings don't just come from nowhere. They're actually a byproduct of something else. In fact, our feelings and emotions are a byproduct of our thoughts. The Bible is big on what we think. It's always challenging us about uh, re-evaluating our thoughts, making sure that our thoughts are in agreement and alignment with the Word of God. And so your feelings and your emotions come from what you think. If you're, if you're feeling depressed, guess what? If you study what you've been thinking, there's going to be some tell-tale, telltale signs that your thoughts are very depressive, and they're kind of like running like train tracks in your heads. So the Bible says the weapons of warfare are not carnal. Uh, so your ability to fight in life is not through your carnality. What do I mean by this? Your carnality is your feelings. Your carnality is being led by your emotions, being led by any, any kind of feeling that just comes into play and that dominates you. The weapons of warfare, your ability to fight, your ability to win is not in your carnality. It's not in your feelings, uh, sons of God. It's not in your emotions, uh, women of God. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. So the key word there is but. But what they are uh, powerful in is they're mighty in God. Other translation says in God's word. Everyone say God's word. In God's truth, in God's word, in God's principles, in God's reality, in in the direction and instruction of God's word. That's where the power of, of fighting comes. And for pulling down strongholds. Everyone say strongholds. Strongholds. Pulling down those those strong uh, emotions or those strong thoughts that actually would try and say you should believe what the world says rather than what the Word of God says. They can become strongholds. We talked about one of those beliefs last Sunday that if you believe... As a man or woman of God, as a follower of Christ, that it's okay to sleep around before being married, that's what we call a stronghold. It's a false belief. And the world, as much as you can love Jesus and believe parts of the Word of God, sometimes because of how we feel or being led by our fleshly desires and not coming into a season of building a strong foundation where we learn how to be disciplined and follow the principles of God, it's hard, but it's good for you, that the world will try to convince you that yes, you can follow Jesus, but in the reality... You shouldn't really worry about all the stuff that's really hard. Just take all the greasy grace of Jesus, but don't become disciplined. Don't work hard to follow his principles, because at the end of the day, that's just old, boring tradition. If you feel like it, then it's right to do. If you want to do it, go ahead anyway, because life is too short. Well, God says, no, that's not truth. That's not going to lead you to a place of fruitfulness. It's actually going to lead you to a place of hindrance, and sometimes even levels of what the Bible would say, destruction, where it can destroy your destiny, because you're not willing to actually take a hold of the Word of God and root it in your heart and live according to it. And the Bible says that we must align to the Word of God. Now, are we perfect? By no means. Christ is perfect. We are righteous because He has made us righteous by the works of the cross. We know that we are washed by the blood of Jesus. We know that we're made pure and clean because of the works of the cross. We know that the grace of God is a reality and is powerful, and we're always wanting to reach out to it because it's always freely given to us. However, The key here is that God is wanting us to go from level to level, from glory to glory. He's wanting us to become activated people who implement the word of God. He wants to see the world be be able to witness the glory of himself within his followers. He wants to see the fruitfulness of his vine come to such a rich taste that the world would say, oh my goodness, how good is there, God? There must be something in this. And I want to say this to you, that if you're someone who is in a season before marriage, that I can tell you without a doubt. Out that your marriage will be very fruitful it will be very it will taste very good there will be key benefits that you will enjoy if you can abstain from having sexual relationship before marriage now we know last week we talked about that if you're here there's no blame or shame here maybe you're sitting here in a past season you made a mistake or maybe you're in a season of potential temptation the key is this god's grace is always sufficient for you but the way that we respond to god's grace is not go back and keep swimming in the mud but actually get out of the mud get Get under the spiritual shower of Christ. Get washed clean and get set free so we can put on our mantle. We can put on our spiritual clothes called victory and we can walk into territories and say, I'm building my life on the rock of salvation and I'm a strong man of God. I'm a strong woman of God who's going from victory to victory. I want to say this before you, that our marriage, Sarah and my marriage, unfortunately she's not here today. She's really unwell with the flu, so please pray for her. But the key to our marriage, I can tell you right now, is that, I mean, I shared this one-on-one with someone just the other week and I started crying crying. It was unintentional. But when they asked me about what I thought was fundamentally important, about making sure you follow the principle of God in certain areas of life, particularly in preparation for marriage, I looked at this person and started to cry because I said, you know, I, I know that, that the victory of foundation that we lay before we got married and now going into marriage, that I can look at my daughters as they're growing up and I can be an example and say, you know what? I made this decision. I didn't get led by my feelings. I stand it on the Word of God and I can say before you, if you can follow that example, oh my goodness, your marriage and your life will be fruitful. Now, again, if you're sitting here today and maybe you've made a mistake, God is always a God of second chance. Can I tell you that God wants you to know that it's not about being perfect, but it is about giving Him an opportunity to show the fruitfulness that comes from you working hard to apply His principles. God doesn't want you to be a God who's in His presence one day and the very next day you just do whatever you feel like. God wants to give you an opportunity to build a sense of discipline, to re- build a roadmap, to build a pathway before you where you're able to, through t- Tenacity through a fighting spirit of, of perseverance to start to carve out a life that's disciplined that actually enables him to build a vine of fruitfulness around your life and around your family's life for the future because he's building generations. You know, when I think about coming to church every Sunday, when I come about think about preaching the word of God, when I think about mentoring and sitting down with people and taking the time to actually invest and in seeing the word of God take root in people's lives, I know that I'm not going to be here for a hundred more years. I'm only going to. Certain time on earth, and I know there's a part of my heart that's bouncing and beaming to see that we raise up the next generation. We raise up people that beyond my grave, beyond Sarah's grave, beyond Zara's grave, beyond Savannah's grave, that there are men and women on the earth that are still standing up for Christ. They're still saying, Yes, Jesus Christ is real, and His principles are truth, and they will bring life. And no, even as, as convincing and persuasive as the world system and the advertising tries to make out, as we walk out these latter days, I'm standing for Christ. No, i preaching the gospel no I believe in the house of God no I believe in discipline no I believe in the truth of word of the word of God I know that Jesus is the way the truth and life and even though I'm not a perfect follower I am a convinced follower I'm a person of conviction that's going to continue to stand on the name of Jesus in this earth to be the light that's in the darkness give him a shout of praise and so we're building an exemplary example of the Word of God living in people's lives, being a light that there is truth. And as the more that we, we walk out this life, the more challenging and difficult it's going to become for us to stand in the gap because the world will get more and more convincing, church. The world is going to become more and more argumentative. It's going to become more persuasive around why your standard and my standard, living for Christ, is just kind of old school tradition. Get over yourself. Come on, you're too conservative. Come on, you're too locked in your ways. Seriously, it's the year 2000 and whatever, 2020, they're going to say in 2026, come on, it's a year 2040, get over yourself, you're still following the Bible, that's ancient, that's old news, the Bible's dead and buried, come on, we're alive now, they're going to say. Everyone say persecution. More and more, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be shamed, you're going to be blamed, you're going to be challenged for your example. Are you willing? Come on, it's good. And so I want to talk about today the importance of grazing in your own pasture. (laughs) Let's have a look at this next slide. That was just the intro. I'm just getting warmed up. Five lies the wisdom of the world tells you. Um, I'm not sure if that's the first scripture. Have we put those JPEGs in order? I think that's kind of like... The JPEGs that go into Google Drive, they're in, in order there. We might need to look at that because um, we, we jumped to that. So we might just get AV to sort that out while I go to my notes. Because <clears throat> from memory, that's, I don't think that's the second slide. They're definitely in the Google Drive list, listed from like 1 to 20 in order. So I'll get the team to sort that out. As we, I want to start here with Proverbs 5.15. That's, that should be the first slide, Proverbs 5.15. I think that's, um, that's last week's slides, um, potentially. <clears throat> so I'll get Jason and, and let's just thank our AV team. They'll sort it out. <clears throat> Proverbs 5.15. Everyone turn to Proverbs 5.15. It says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. What is it talking about here? In this part of Proverbs, it's starting to introduce this whole thing of be mindful of where you source life. Do you know that there is a temptation, whether you're married or not, to source life from the input and the encouragement, mainly from other human beings? It's looking for the need for approval from man. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't actually seek a sense of respect from our leaders and people who we should get counsel from. The Bible is very big on honor. But what we're talking about is ultimately you should source the love of God as the key that fills your well. Let me say this to you. Sometimes too early when we're building the foundation of God in our life, we start to fall in love with Jesus. But then someone maybe in church or our Christian circles shows us a little bit of interest and we go, oh they like me they're interested in me and so we start to go hmm ooh and a lot of times we do it too early, everyone say too early It's about making sure that where do we get our water from? Where do we get our source from? Where do we get our encouragement from? Where do we get our sense of worth from? Where do we get our acceptance from? Where do we get our life from? We don't purely get it, and we should never, all throughout life, we should never get it mainly from another human being. When you seek the affection of another human being, it should never be to complete you or to make you whole. Only God can do that. And when you're in a season of building the foundation of Christ in your life, Let me say this to you. This is going to be a controversial statement, but I say it with a father's heart because there's going to be some people on planet earth that disagree with me, and that's okay, but I'm going to preach what I know to be true, and that is this. When you're building the very first foundation of Christianity in your life, you're really not in a season to be uh, having a relationship with another human being. It is not the right timing because you're building the foundation and you're learning what it is to be loved by God. You're learning what it is to... The the core of your identity is framed and anchored on God himself, not the affections or the encouragements or the interests of another human being who's actually not whole themselves. Come on. And so wherever you are in life, understand this. Even husbands and wives, sometimes our marriage gets frustrating because we're actually looking for the, for the God source in our partner who we've, we've given our life to, but we actually should be looking for the source of our life from the other life partner that we've given our complete heart to, and that's Jesus Christ. Your frustration in your marriage will start to minimize when you seek God first because the disappointment that you'll see and feel with the, the, the non-completeness in the human being that you're partnered with will always come and be filled with the complete wholeness of who God is. And so when it looks here in Proverbs, it's saying, come on, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. What does that mean? Drink and seek life from the own identity that God's building within you. Your foundation of Christianity, your Jesus Christ, your anchor, Holy Spirit within you is your well that you're continually filling up by spending time with Him and you're drinking from it, you're drawing from it. It's the power of God within you to live this life of feeling like, hey, I'm a person of victory, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I've got a sense of worth because Jesus Christ believes in me. And that means that whoever is around you, friends, family, loved ones, eventually boyfriends, girlfriends, people, the person that you're courting, the person that you decide to get married. If you're married, your children around you, when they disappoint you, when they fall short, when they don't encourage you when you're expecting it, when they don't actually follow through on their word when you're expecting it, when they don't actually uh, give you a compliment when you're expecting it, that's not your, your main well. That's not the main source of how you feel about yourself. Jesus Christ is. And that means that you can better manage the expectations when they're not met by human beings around you in life, whatever level of relationship they are, because you're centered and anchored on seeking first the source of life from Christ himself. Come on, let's give him some praise. Okay, let's have a look at this next scripture. <coughs> awesome. Let's again thank AV team. They've found the slides. All right. Proverbs 2, 10 to 11 and 16 to 19. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. Everyone say, ooh. Now, when we read a lot of these examples of Proverbs and they talk about the woman being adulterous, let me just say this. They can be male wolves as well. So when we read Proverbs, men don't get all like, yeah, those women, man. Because there can be male wolves. And let me say this, we're not talking about just non-Christians either. Ouch. There can be male and female wolves even in the kingdom of God who have an independent spirit and have their own agenda and just want to go after what they want. Don't really want to kind of uh, aligned to any sense of accountability because they're preoccupied with actually what they want. And let's, let's highlight this. In fact, the scripture that we just looked at before is the main reason why there are male and female wolves. Because they're actually seeking their acceptance from how people respond to their flirtation. How people respond to their sense of, uh, you know, let me spend time with you. Let's hang out together. How do you respond? Mmm, you respond well, because you like me. <laughs> And feeling my will. Mm, yeah. The problem is, like a wolf, once they devour you a little bit, then they start to lose interest in how you taste. Once you kind of lean in and show a little bit of acceptance, they kind of lose interest. But they just want to go and devour different people around them. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, or a wolf with his seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or retain the paths of life. So, this is not just for people who are not married. This is for people who are married, not married, people who are divorced, people who are single, people who have never been in a relationship. This is for every man and woman in the auditorium today. I want to tell you that, you know. We've got, to, we've got to wise up, and we've got to get victory around what the Word of God says about our sexual desires. It's a powerful thing when it's tamed, but it's also a powerful thing when it's untamed. And You want to be on the right side of the taming. Next slide. Proverbs six twenty six to 7. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife prays on your very life. What are we saying here? We're saying here that understand uh, sometimes the things that actually seem like they just should not happen at all, actually the things that can be the most luring. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? No way. What we're talking about here is don't get to the cliff edge of your sexual desire being activated and wonder why it's very difficult for you not to slide over the cliff, you shouldn't be scooping anything into your lap that's on fire anyway and not expecting your pants to, to start burning, right? Wisdom says to have the fire, that fire extinguisher in your hands and looking out for where there's any fire with the Word of God. With the Word of God. Rather than, let me put the fire extinguisher. Hello, spot fires. Come closer. In fact, let me just scoop them out of the lake of fire and just put it all over my lap. Oh, my pants are on fire. Funny that. Next slide. Proverbs thirty-two, thirty-three. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. I mean, this is Proverbs. This is the book of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom would say to count the consequences before you even thinking about pay the price. remember my old pastor that raised me up in the things of God. He went away to a conference with a very well-known pastor who's kind of like a pastor of pastors. And he was in the green room. And he hadn't really met this pastor of pastors before. He just kind of knew him because he had a very well-established name in ministry. And this pastor shook his hand and said, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought what would take place if you cheated on your wife? Have you ever counted the consequence? Have you ever gone there visually in your mind? What would actually be the wreckage that your life would look like? And my pastor said, yes, I had. And he said, it's one of the best safety blankets, isn't it? And the pastor, pastor said, yes. He said, I asked this question because I just wanted to test your level of wisdom. Count the cost before you even think about paying the price, as in, Actually go there in your mind and think of the consequences before you even allow your mind to be tempted. As in, of course, you're not going to allow your mind to be tempted. You wouldn't want to do that. But a wisdom says you'll actually err away from even being tempted, even thinking about contemplating doing something when you actually go in the mind on the other whole end of that decision and look at the consequences visually and count the cost. Let's have a look at this next slide. Proverbs 22:14. the mouth Of an adulterous woman is a dead pit, deep pit. A man who is under the Lord's wrath falls into it. Again, we're not just talking about females, but men can be wolves. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee immorality. Flee it. What is immorality? What's the difference between immorality versus adultery? Adultery is a sexual sin that you commit once you're in marriage covenant. Immorality is a sexual sin that you commit before marriage covenant. In the kingdom of God and the Bible, God warns, warns strongly against both. And it's important to understand that even once you're married, there's still going to be temptations, folks. The Bible is clear on that. And so as the house, we're talking about bullseye being on target just again in, in, in this season It's important for us to think about where are we at with this level of wisdom. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sings against, that should be sins, against his own body, not sings. (laughs) I'm using a new uh, thing called Canva at the moment, and for some reason I need to improve my ability using Canva. Everyone pray for me. I'm not a natural graphic designer. Okay, let's have a look at this next slide. I think, we, yeah, I think we've got the, the title page, the five. Yeah, this is, this is not in the right order. So we're going with that. In Yeah, thank you very much. Let's, let's follow the Google Drive um, numbers. That would help me out very much. Thanks, team. So now we want to go into five lies the wisdom of the world tells you. We talked last week about false beliefs. We talked about uh, the importance of understanding the truth of God's word. A lot of times, if you're still questioning, is the Bible true or not? Of course, you're going to have a problem with your belief system because you don't believe in the, in the concrete truth of God's Word. So you need to deal with that. You need to deal with the fact that God, God's Word is God-breathed and that God is actually His Word. It's not just a cute little traditional book that we kind of refer to to say a nice prayer. It is, the, is, it is God Himself. It is truth. Uh, unless you, you get to that revelation, you're going to have all sorts of trouble in building a solid foundation of your beliefs. And so, today, we want to talk about dealing with uh, five uh, five examples of the wisdom of the world. The world would make out its very wise church. it will try to convince you to think this way, and we 're going to go through them right now so let 's have a look at the first one. The first lie that the wisdom of the world will try and tell you is it could never happen to me and so what are we talking about here again is sexual sin we 're talking about uh, we're talking about not having boundaries, kind of being flimsy in your beliefs, being led by your feelings. Uh, I believe one of the most important things to set in stone in the foundation of your walk with God is boundaries around your sexual desires. Uh, it will usually be like a wild Bromby. We talked about the helicopter and the airplane analogy. I'm not going to do that again. If you missed that, you missed an amazing analogy. Someone can share that with you while uh, having lunch with you in the cafe. Have fun with that. (laughs) But uh, let me say this. If you're feeling new in the things of God, you come into the house of God, you're you're, you're quite new. You wish. Or maybe you've reestablished the things in God. The... one of the strongest distractions to you building that foundation will be someone showing interest in you, even in the church. You're to get the timing right. When I got saved, last week I, I talked about before Christianity, I was sleeping around lots. When I came into things of God, uh, I knew that Uh, it was not the right timing for me to even contemplate a relationship because I had to build a solid foundation. Uh, I think I I was single for... Now, I'm not saying that this is the benchmark, okay? So I don't want someone to go, when I explain this number. But for me, I'm just giving you an example. I think it was at least three years. Everyone say three. It was three years before I even contemplated the idea of having a Christian relationship. After getting saved, I spent that, that period of time consecrating my life, cutting off the things of the world, focusing on God, building the Word of God, transforming my mind, renewing my, transforming my life through the renewal of my mind, learning what it was to just worship God, learning what it was to fellowship, learning what it was to build friendships in the house of God, learning what it was to build discipline, learning what it was to say no to the things that I've been saying yes to for so many years, living an unruly, undisciplined, fleshly life. Um, it took a season to get that foundation right. And let me say this to you. uh, No one is ready for a relationship when they come into the things of God brand new. Because again, as I said before, you're building a relationship with God. But also, he's working out, strengthening a lot of the gaps and the holes in your life. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, he has to work out light with me. I couldn't hold a job, folks. I couldn't hold a job. Now, if if I came into Christianity and God was wanting to heal me, and yet I was in a season where I was still unreliable. I was still, Jesus loves me. He was starting to work on my character, but I was still unreliable. I couldn't hold down a job. Now, if I can't hold down a job, which is a, a sign of relationship management, come on now honoring my word, fulfilling my promises, dealing with maybe someone who I don't like or I find challenging, but being able to build in maturity and dealing with that, being willing to kind of flow with people, even if I don't always get my way. That's a a great preparation for then being prepared to start to build a relationship with someone that I could potentially be in relationship for the rest of my life. Come on, if you can't hold a job down, you're not ready for a relationship. Come on now. Let's get to some factual truth here. From a father's heart, I'm telling you, you're not ready, right? Because managing the heart of someone is far more important than just managing a job. And if you can't be faithful with that yet, then you're not ready to manage the heart of someone who you could really hurt because of the dysfunction that you haven't worked out with God yet. If you can't pay your bills, then you're not ready for relationship. So let me be frank. When you're pursuing God, you shouldn't be pursuing anyone else in this season. You should be just focusing on God. And if you're not and you keep getting distracted or you're being pursued by something or someone and you're kind of being lured in that and you're in this foundation, it means that we go back to that first proverb scripture. You're not understanding that the source of your life is the well within you. It's Christ that is your source of relationship and acceptance in this season. Everything else will become a distraction. And so what happens is when someone is interested in a relationship before the right timing or is trying to pursue a relationship before the right timing, what they're actually doing is they're shortchanging the importance of cementing the foundation of Christ in life first. And it's going to water down the foundation. So it's important. It could never happen to me. Let's have a look at this next scripture. Or oh, next slide, sorry. Proverbs eighteen twelve. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. So it could never happen to me, because I got it all together. I'll, I'll never fall over the cliff. So it's okay for me to go close to the cliff because you know, I mean, I'm disciplined. Won't happen to me. But it could happen to you. Why? Because we are fallen beings. You have a corrupt nature, says Romans. Everyone say, oh, I've got a corrupt nature. Now, in Christ, he's restored me into his glory. But we're, we're saying that by faith, evidence of things not yet seen yet, brother, sister. You have an active opponent. What's this? There is a devil who is, the Bible says, roaming around like a lion, waiting, positioning himself to steal, kill, and destroy you. Turn the person next to you and say, wow, he's getting a bit intense here. This is good for us, church. And so wise up. Oh, this would never happen to me. Oh, yes, it can. It can happen to you. If you're unwise and too prideful, think, oh, this one happened to me. I'm so anointed. Next slide. Lie two. We're only friends. We're only friends. You know? We're only friends. Now, let me say this. Again, like I said last Sunday, if you're here thinking, I've written this sermon just for you. <laughs> three words. With all the love of Jesus in my heart, get over yourself. Because this is coming because the Holy Spirit has told me in this season, we need to preach this word. We are only friends. Let's have a look at this next slide. Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We're only friends. I've seen, I've had a good friend of mine Again, without naming names, doesn't go to this church. You would not know him. Married to a beautiful woman, three beautiful little girls. But there was a tiredness in their marriage. They're about maybe eight years in. A bit tired, the routine, the three children, the school pickups, going to church. And they both had kind of stopped really spending good quality time with God themselves. It happens. Life gets routine. It gets busy. It can get boring. And then at this guy's workplace, this new girl is a new staff member. He finds her attractive. But he also just connects with her personality. So in the staff room, he's making a coffee. They get chatting. And every week they chat more, and next week goes well, they chat more, they connect, they start doing work pro- projects together. And so they become friends. It's just friends. We're just friends, work friends. But he was attracted to her. She was attracted to him. She knew that he was married. He knew that she was in a relationship. She wasn't a Christian. And then one thing. Led to another thing, which led to another thing, which led to another thing. So they'd spend longer in the tea and coffee room talking and opening up about life. Oh, do be careful. If you are talking about life with the opposite sex, life. Let's talk about, let's even frame it. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about Jesus. Come on now. But you're the opposite and there's attraction there and then you do it late at night or you do it for long periods of time in the car. But we're just friends. Two words, wise up. Wise up. Because this guy eventually started then texting this girl, messaging this girl late at night, inappropriate times, just connecting more, building a friendship. But he was building a sense of just wanting, he she was encouraging him and then it all led to a passionate kiss. Now watch this. He hadn't overstepped the line there. He'd overstepped the line way before that. This is what we're gonna learn. Inviting someone like that the opposite sets into such a, a deep connection conversation when he himself was feeling dry in his personal connection with his wife. That right there is a sign of a lack of wisdom. If you'd gone to God and said, God, you're the source. Lord, I'm feeling dry in my marriage. First of all, God, I want to press into you. God, what does your words say? Encourage me, Lord. I'm going to take responsibility for where I'm at, God. What am I giving into this marriage? What am I doing about? It? Lord, I need to press into you. You're my source. If I'm feeling disappointed or not uh, fulfilled by my covenant relationship that I've made before you, then God, I go to you as my source. Lord, help me, fill me. And God, give me a strategy. What do I need to do? I'm going to take responsibility, God. What do I need to do to inject something fresh into this relationship? And then Julie encouraged his wife to spend some time with God. And then God would probably speak to her about it as well. But instead, he went Outside his marriage covenant to seek just some encouragement, just some friendship, folks. It seems so innocent, seems so just, we're just friends. But it's a complete lack of wisdom. For example, if you're a single female here in this church, I would advise you to not drive a single man or a married man, anyone who's male, in a car by yourself. It's a lack of wisdom. Because the atmosphere of a car is like a bubble. And you get talking. (laughs) Now watch this. The key here is you may have the purest motive in the world, and I think you would. But the Bible says it's just not wise. It's not wise. And if you're a male here and you need a lift, then ask another bloke. Don't ask a married woman or a single woman or any female of that nature, Christian, non-Christian. Go and ask a bloke to drop you home. Let's have a look at the next slide. Lie number three. It feels right. It can't be wrong. Because it feels, it feels right. It feels good. It feels so right. Can't be wrong. Let's have a look at this next slide. Just break this one down. The principle here, feelings follow actions. What do we mean by that? See, when you you make an action or a choice, right, like specifically spending time with someone by themselves and starting to talk about stuff. Well, of course, you're going to start to have some feelings. classic example is this. Let me say this. Again, another controversial comment that I'm not going to be apologetic about. Uh, When a girl finds out that a guy kind of is interested in her, there can be a shift right there. Because before that moment, she may not have even thought of him in that way. But as soon as she hears, he might like you. Oh, I think he likes me. I've heard on the great phone he likes me. Right? Just the act of that guy showing interest, right, can make a female go, I've never really thought of it that way before. I know this to be true, (laughs) because in the right timing, everyone say the right timing, I use this principle to woo Sarah, (laughs) (laughs) right? I specifically, intentionally, deliberately told my friend at the time who was married or going out, I can't remember the timing now, uh, to Sarah's sister. He said, are you interested in anyone in the church? And I said, knowing that he would tell his wife or his girlfriend or fiance at the time, and then she would tell her sister Sarah. I said, yeah, I'm interested in Sarah Bailey. And he went, "Ah, oh, really? Mm. And I just saw his eyes go, mm. and I didn't say anything. And then, of course, he told his girlfriend or wife, or whoever she was at the time, and then she told Sarah. And then the next Sunday at church, The next Sunday at church, the pastor is preaching. And I look over at Sarah. And I catch her, looking at me. And what was she thinking? Was she thinking, oh, I want to marry him, no. She was thinking, so he likes me, hey? Hmm. He's not, he's not too bad. And so it just starts to open this little slippery slide, right? Now, if it's the right timing and it's God's will, that's cool, right? But this way, why when it's not the right timing, you hang out with someone and talk about life goals or talk about God and stuff like that, and he looks at you and you look at him, and of course little, little feelings are going to start to flower. And then, you know, we go, oh, well, I'm going to pray about this. And if we're still young in our Christianity, hearing from God sometimes can still just be how I feel. Come on now. And then we justify not actually seeking any wise counsel because I feel it's of God. I love this. This is just just material for just an awesome stand-up comic routine for like three years, I reckon. Because it's, it just hits home, so true. All this stuff. feels so right, I can't be wrong. Let's have a look at this next line. Line number four. I can't stop any... I can, oh, I can stop. That's a lie. I can stop any time I want. I can stop any time I want. Let's have a look at the points here on this next slide, about line number four. I can stop anytime I want. Got them there. Awesome. Proverbs five twenty two. <clears throat> his own inequities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Which means what? You can get lured. What comes before sin? Deception. You get captured. You get lured. It's not obvious. It doesn't seem the way that it should. I I can stop anytime I want, you know? I can stop this avalanche of feelings or physicality or physical connection anytime I want. We talked about the helicopter and the aeroplane analogy last week. We talked about the fact that we are actually sexually wired as men and women, differently for obvious reasons. But we're also still all wired to be switched on, to be turned on. And there are certain things that lead to certain things that start to activate the whole sexual wiring of our design. So God would say this, understand your wiring and understand that if you start to turn some of the switches on, then activates certain part of the wiring that then actually starts to activate other parts of the wiring, and with before you know it, the whole system can be activated. And it doesn't matter how much of a Bible believing, Jesus loving presence uh, of God seeker you are. Sometimes, if that whole system is activated or majority of it is activated, doesn't matter how much you love Jesus, it is very hard for you to not just go with the whole thing being switched on. And that's why wisdom would say, understand your design. Understand that God has designed a certain way for people to become sexually switched on, but in marriage covenant, because he wants them to be motivated, to be together physically, to uh, glorify the covenant of marriage, to be not only spiritually, but physically one. That glorifies God, the unity Of, Let me go there specifically. The unity that sexual intercourse creates is God's design. Marriage and sexual intercourse within marriage and that whole physicality of husband and wife becoming one glorifies God. He loves that because it's his design. So he is the creator. He has designed you and I to be switched on sexually so we'll be motivated to become one with our lifetime partner, but under the beautiful protection and umbrella of marriage covenant. And so we've got to understand whether we're in marriage covenant or we're outside of marriage covenant. We still have that wiring there that's designed and destined for a particular purpose. But if you're wise, you will study, you will understand, you will take note of what is it that sets you off. Come on now. What is it that starts to switch you on? And you, through God's wisdom and His power, you'll have conversations with God around, how can I appropriately put boundaries around my sexual wiring so that the switches that are designed to be switched on at the right time in marriage covenant do not get switched on? Because one thing leads to another. Okay, let's have a look at this last one. Number five, nobody is getting hurt. It really is for the best. Nobody's getting hurt. It really is for the best. Let's have a look at this scripture. This one's talking about, when we go to this particular scripture, it's talking specifically about who gets hurt. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Oh, I want you to read this scripture. Because you might miss it. I want you to read it. Who's, who's talking? The scripture is reflecting the heart of God. And it's a prophetic scripture from Isaiah. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. So we know that Jesus Christ blots out our sins. Everyone say yes. Yes, yes to that. And then it says, for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Do you know that God blots out your sins not just for your sake? Oh, please catch this. But God blots out your sins for even his own sake and remembers your sins no more. Our sin hurts God. Have we thought about that in a way? Our mismanagement of our walk hurts him. It affects him. It impacts on God. Now, is he almighty and all glorious that he has the power to blot out everything? Yes. And to forgive no more? Yes. And so much we focus on that because that's the good part of the scripture. But the other part of the scripture is actually talking about the heartbeat of God. And this is why I believe people who actually discipline themselves and honor the word of God by actually taking a reverence point on these scriptures. Let me highlight this. When people actually come into a part of their relationship with God where they don't do this, they don't go, I love you, Jesus, but I'm literally going to do whatever I want to do. When they say, God, I love you, and I believe that your word is true, and God, I want to live right. I want to set my life up to glorify you, to honor you, to be an example to this broken world. God, I want to see the fruit that you promise manifest in my life. And so because that, God, I'm going to honor your word. I'm going to do what I need to do to not just look at the word of God as if it's just a little traditional kind of comment, but no, it's the truth. And God, you want me to learn how to do this right. That I'm not just going to do whatever I feel like, but God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it importance. I'm going to place value on doing it right. Knowing, God, that when I honor you, there is an honor's reward. There is a reward that comes from honoring God's word. There is a reward from not disrespecting God. There is a reward that comes from not hurting God By just being flippant with his word. Can I tell you, there is a reward. I know because I've experienced it. It was hard, but Sarah and I honored the word of God. We're not perfect, but we honored the word of God. Now, I can tell you there's a couple of variables that helped us out. (laughs) Greg and Julie, being prophets of God, helped me out. (laughs) Lord would put the fear of the Lord in me. Also, our pastor, the fact that I was accountable to our pastor, he was strong and his, his wife was strong. They believed in our potential, but they loved us enough to make sure that we understood the importance of boundaries and he, they didn't want us to stuff it up. Now, again, let me be balanced. Sometimes people stuff it up. Does that mean that God's curse is all over them? No. No. God can redeem, God's grace is good. But I want to say this to you, wherever you're at, how many mistakes you've recently made or not made, you need to honor the Word of God. You need to want to love God to bring Him glory that you can be disciplined enough to put boundaries around your life to position that relationship that you're in or that you will be in or the one that you're currently married to. Make sure that you respect and honor the Lord's word because not only does it bless his heart, but you will be rewarded by blessing the heart of God. Do you know that there's a reward by actually being sexually pure? Do you know there's a reward for being sexually disciplined? My marriage is amazingly blessed. My family is blessed. I felt the blessing, come on marriage and continue to grow because I honor the Lord. So if you're in a relationship and you haven't been aligned, then this is your second chance. Get aligned and start honoring God because the more that you honor God, the more that you will be rewarded. Do not underestimate how amazingly you'll be rewarded by you honoring God with his word. And so my job here today is to encourage you to be on target to be on target I think another lie of the world and I think it's a lie that drips into the church as well it's not in my notes is this that we'll be fully rewarded of God's promises whether or not we follow his word that's actually not true There is a lie around greasy grace. I'm going to tell you why there's a lie around greasy grace. Greasy grace is we can just keep doing whatever we want and just worship Jesus on Sunday and we'll be blessed. I think the reason why there's a lie around greasy grace is because the greasy grace message is really popular. Greasy grace message will fill churches. You hearing what I'm saying? This kind of message is not necessarily a message that everyone wants to hear. Because a lot of people will interpret this as intense. Wow, he really believes in the Bible. He's challenging us to actually walk the way the Bible preaches. Isn't that a bit old school? Isn't that a bit traditional? No, it's true. Why do I do it, though? This is the key. Do I do it to be a wet blanket? No, I do it because I want to see fruit in your life. The other lie is this. The desire that I'm going to feel when I commit whatever that sexual thing is is more rewarding than the desire I'm going to feel when I actually see the glory of God in my life. That's a massive lie. And so my encouragement to all of us here is to take stock around how on track are we. And for you who are parents, can I say this to you? Be careful you don't allow the world to disciple your children. God's called you to disciple your children. And that's why sometimes we've got to be careful how much importance we put on. Baseball, basketball, ballet, and all the extracurricular activities on the weekend for why we have excuses to not bring our children to church. Because in the house of God, our children should be raised up, particularly when they get in their teenage years, and hear the reality check of the Word of God. But there's a big thing right now where we can justify why we don't go to church regularly is because of all these extracurricular activities where we're convinced we'll really develop our children. And I'm all for those extracurricular activities. But I know in my heart that something ain't quite right in that family priority setting when they get so busy doing all these extracurricular activities and they don't have their kids in church. Because baseball and basketball and ballet and all those wonderful things are great, I believe in them, but your children are not going to be cemented and rooted in the Word of God with those things. And the louder the preaching gets of the world, even at their schools, their universities, their, their clubs, they have to get something that's different, that counteracts the preaching of the word. And so when it it comes to your marriage right now, when it comes to your parenting right now, when it comes to your singlehood right now, wherever you're at and wherever your family's at, I think it's important to make sure that we get people focused on the truth of God's word and push back on the preaching of the world system. Who's with me? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're always a God who sometimes, like a great chiropractor, wants to crack us into alignment. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word does a great job in cracking us into alignment, to getting our mind, our body, and our spirit in alignment, Lord, and under your word. Lord, your word is truth. Lord, your word is life. Lord, your your word has a building ability, that you build lives. Lord, you're the grand architect, and you release your word to build within us, Lord, a strong foundation, Lord, you build within us a great framework on which to uh, walk our life out of. Father, I thank you, Lord, that today that you would cement us in to being people who are aligned to your word. Lord, that you're raising up men and women of God, Father, Lord, to be a light in this world. I'm going to ask our musicians to come or some, some musician to come. Thank you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the anointing. I thank you, Lord, for the capability of you, Lord, through your word, Lord, to to actually do a work, to, to break up, Lord, the, the, the convincing power of the world system. Father, particularly I pray for the young adults right now. I pray, Lord, in a season, Lord, where they, there can be so many sexual temptations and such a leaning into, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be liked, wanting to be adored, wanting affection. Because they're starting to realize that the storms of life sometimes can be harsh. And Lord, they start to feel lonely. Father, I pray this morning you would release a strength in them, a power in them to be sustained in your word, to hold on. To hold on to you, God, to hold on to your promise. That there is a very rich and real reward when they walk your ways. Father, I pray against a watering down of the word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is built to be like cement. That, Lord, that when it sets in, Lord, it's to create a solidness, a foundation, Lord, a rock of salvation. I thank you, Lord, that your word was not designed to mix in other philosophies, other teaching. For us to pick a bit of this and pick a bit of that and blend it together to come up with our own concoction for life. Because it's convenient. Because it justifies how we feel. Lord, this morning, purify our revelation of you. Purify our revelation of the word. Lord, where people are weak in their faith. Lord, where they're weak in revelation of you. Lord, where they're still learning about the word. When they're still babies drinking milk. Father, I thank you, Lord, that they would not just build relationship with other babies spiritually, but they would build relationship with people who are feeding on meat, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you would release a shepherding anointing in this house in a fresh way. That we'd have eyes and ears to look out for people. Not just to look out for our own life and our own way, but Lord, to to take care of each other. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we put our trust in Your word. We put our trust in Your ways this morning in a fresh, in a fresh way. Thank you, Lord. We're going to finish with this one thought. I just got a vision of a medicine cabinet. And I also got a vision of a refrigerator. The Lord said this. There are some people here and the pace and urgency that you run towards a spiritual medicine cabinet. It's fast, it's quick. Meaning, you're seeking God for the cure, but you're failing to seek God for the prevention. God says, I want to accelerate the, the, the focus and the urgency to run to the refrigerator. What does the refrigerator represent? It represents good, healthy food. It represents bananas, bok choy, beetroot, steak, beans, lettuce, Water. God says, how much are we feeding on the spiritual medicine cabinet? Because we've got the spiritual flu. We've got spiritual depression. We've got spiritual lethargicness. And so we're running to get the, what do you call it when you're feeling down? It bumps you up with energy. Cold and flu tablets, what's it called? Cold The Lord's saying, some of you are taking so much spiritual cold You're looking for the quick fix, but you're not spending enough time feeding on the food that will strengthen you in the spiritual fridge. Two words, wise up. There's too much potential and too much destiny in this house. And so Sarah and I are fighting for you. We are praying for you and your families. This is a season to glean this analogy at the end, the spiritual fridge. Even you, There are some people here, I just sense as you've been Christians for years, and you mainly feed on the spiritual medicine cabinet. You're going to God because of emergency. You're not going to God proactively. And you're wondering why there's always this inability to break through. God says, I'm raising up spiritual athletes in this house. God says, I'm, st- I'm, I'm wanting you to become elite. I want you to become the best of the best. I don't want you always limping spiritually, always coughing, always having to blow your nose, always having a, to tuck your head under the, the spiritual blankets and just go, oh, woe is me, Jesus. Father, release strength spiritually in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's give him some praise. Awesome God. I love you.